1: Life if you give your
0: heart and believe what he's done for you you'll be set for life with the treasures stored up in heaven when you're through you'll be set for life
1: So we're in Second Kings chapter 3 and just to go into it, the name Elisha, who is our main character, Elisha's name means God is Savior. And it's from the Hebrew elements of El, which means God, and Yasha, which means Savior. So the title God is Savior, that's a pretty good name for a guy like Elisha, who was going to go around and help people recognize that all the miracles that he did, they all had some kind of aspect of the gospel message to it about how God wants to save his people. And so all the miracles that Elisha was going to do and his ministry time was to show people that God is a God who saves. And we'll see that in 2 Kings chapter 3, where Moab rebels against Israel. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made nevertheless he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat who had made Israel sin so he did not depart from them well i guess it's somewhat of a, re- a relief a little bit that Jehoram was not as bad as Ahab and Jezebel i mean it's almost like after reading about those two who could be worse than them than probably satan himself because those two uh they redefined the word bad didn't they I don't understand, though, why he took down the pillar of Baal while he continued to support the Baal worship policies that Jeroboam had had started up. Maybe this is a slight indication that Elijah's and Elisha's work had started to maybe turn the culture around a little bit. Maybe he took the pillar down to make it look like it wasn't a public backing that he did, but maybe behind the scenes. He was still backing Baal worship. Maybe that's the reason why he took the pillars down but still backed it. I don't know. Possibly the Lord's judgment against the Baal worshippers up on Mount Carmel caused Jehoram to get afraid of using a pillar such as a public landmark, and he wanted it gone. Maybe he felt it was too inviting for Elisha or another prophet to come and judge him. So maybe he just didn't want a public front, but he did it privately. But that's what I see here in the text, that it's a high possibility of that. Second Kings 3, verse 4. Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. You probably remember I discussed in chapter 1 that Moab had already rebelled against Israel before, right after Ahab died because Moab was under heavy taxation by Israel. And so the king of Moab, his own personal part of the overall tax burden was sending all these lambs and rams to Israel. That was, I guess he was tired of having to pay for it. And so now King Misha of Moab, he is going to rebel like he did before. He had rebelled against Ahaziah. Remember that king that fell through the floor in that weak spot and he died? So his brother, Jehoram, who we have here now, he took over the throne, but now Moab was rebelling again. Moab is still trying to get out from under this tax burden from Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So I want you to remember that this time in history, Israel was a divided kingdom. They had two different kings ruling at the same time. King Jehoram ruled over the kingdom of Israel in the north, and Jehoshaphat ruled over the kingdom of Judah. In the south, they're both collectively Israel, but the Bible's gonna say the king of Israel, it's gonna mean Jehoram, which is the northern side. When it talks about Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, that's the southern. So Jehoram, he wanted to attack the kingdom of Moab, not from the north, as they expected him to, because they were southern of, uh, south of Israel. He wanted to hit them from the south side because they're, they were less defended on the south. That's where they would not expect to be hit from. They would always expect Israel to raid from the north. But to get to the south of them, he had to ask for Jehoshaphat's permission to march through Judah to surprise Moab from their south side. So he's trying to hit them on their weakest side, but he needs to go through Jehoshaphat to get down there. So, to get to their south end, they had to go through the kingdom of Edom, which was south of Judah. And since Edom was under Jehoshaphat's authority, he knew they could take that route real easily. 2 Kings 3, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So we had just left Elisha in chapter 2. And he had gotten the double portion of of ministry power that he inherited from Elijah. So I'm sure you're wondering how this sudden new story about a military attack was going to play in to whatever Elisha was up to, right? So here it is. These three kings and their military and their animals and everything, they're going to lead a raid. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and they have this water shortage. They need water. They need it fast. How are we going to do this? And Jehoshaphat says we need to look for a man of God. So here's Elisha come into the picture. Now, I find it amazing that King Jehoram, the one who still allowed Baal worship in the land to continue, that he became terrified that the Lord God had positioned them, these three kings, to be judged. He's going to set us up. The Moabites are going to get us. And he he's blaming it on the Lord, isn't he? So I just want to ask for a quick second here. Aren't you Mr. Baal worshiper here? And now suddenly you're scared of the Lord God. Now, I think a lot of this is because he remembers what the Lord did to his parents, to, to Ahab, and Jezebel is going to get hers, but she's already been through the ring or too. And also what the Lord did through Elijah on Mount Carmel, when all the priests of Baal were executed and the, the fire came down and burned the altars uh, up. And so, yeah, he's the first one to shout, oh, the Lord's going to get us. The Lord's so scary, he's coming after me. (laughs) But not only that, Jehoram's built-in Baal worship, it brought on a natural hatred of God. It's just built into him. He hated God. And that's why he was blaming the Lord God for the position that he was in. Now, Jehoram is the one that wanted to do this, to go out on this raid in the first place. It was up to Jehoram to plan out all the logistics required to make this whole raid work, including having water. Now, personally, I think the Lord is setting him up (laughs) because he's trying to get Jehoram to turn. Because as king, if he turned, it's going to get the whole nation of Israel to turn with him. But the fact that he did not believe in God, the Lord God of Israel, but all of a sudden his hatred says, oh, this is the Lord's fault. Jehoram should have been blaming himself not just pin it on God. You ever know people that are like that? They don't believe in God until they get in trouble and then they shake their fist at him. Oh God, how dare you? When you're the one that ran off like an idiot and got yourself in trouble. But good old Jehoshaphat spoke up and he said, isn't there a prophet here? You know, friends, we need to learn to ask the Lord for help in every decision that we make in life. We need to learn to ask him, Lord, what should I do? Before you set out, And go to do something. Just inquire of him. Quite honestly, a little bit, I think even Jehoshaphat, he should have inquired of the Lord seven days before they marched all this way out here to no water. But okay, at least he's bringing it up now. Let's give him half credit, right? And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. He's talking about Elisha here. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. (laughs) I love it how he's making excuses and putting it all on God. Oh, the Lord called us into this. In a sense, yeah, but Jehoram is not owning up his own part of the deal here, where he's the one that wanted to start this raid in the first place. So I love it how Elisha he mocked. Jehoram. Why are you asking me? Why are you asking me for help? It's like, hello, Mr. Baal worshiper. Why do you need the God of Israel to help you? Take it up with mommy and daddy's God, that God that they served. Look how well they turned out. Why don't you call on Baal? You know, the false God whose tail got totally kicked on Mount Carmel. Why don't you call on him? That's, I hear that in Elisha's voice here. Elisha was basically saying, since you still endorse Baal worship, why in the world do you need my help? Why are you even talking to me? But Jehoram believed that the Lord was setting him up to fall. Isn't it just amazing how someone could possibly deny the Lord God all their days, but the day they find themselves in big trouble, suddenly it's all God's fault. (laughs) People still do that today. Now, I don't know if Jehoram ran to Elisha just to ask for help because he's desperate or to cry about how unfair Elisha's God was to him. Remember how his daddy was, uh, King Ahab? Oh, the Lord's prophets never say anything nice about me, and it just sounds childish. Maybe he's just trying to cry about it. I don't know. Maybe it was a little both. Maybe he was crying and complaining, and he wanted help out of desperation, but I don't know. So Elisha he could sense this sour and desperate attitude on Jehoram, and so Elisha's comments that he was firing at him here they were designed to make Jehoram admit it publicly in front of absolutely everybody, including in front of being and saying it in front of these two kings that his trust in the false god Baal is what got him in trouble in the first place. He did not have a real god to inquire of, or one that would provide for him as he went through the desert here. And that's what got him in this situation in the first place. I do know, I will admit, the Lord God is going to use this situation, so the Lord is pulling some strings here. But I'm saying from Jehoram's viewpoint, he got himself in trouble. Elisha wanted to make Jehoram cough it up that Baal was false and Baal was totally incapable of getting him out of this situation. Elisha wanted to make him admit and submit to the Lord God. He wanted Jehoram to identify and submit himself to the Lord God of Israel who actually does exist, who actually can get him out of this problem. He wants to get Jehoram to see the Lord God of Israel. 2 Kings 3:14. And Elisha said, "As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you, nor see you. Ooh, he's not happy. <laughs> You're a Baal worshiper and you come crying to me. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't even look at you if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat. But he called the Lord, the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies. That means a heavenly military. So here's Jehoram. He's stuck out here in the sand, and Elisha just gave him a description of the Lord God in a military view, in a military fashion. The Lord of hosts. He's trying to make Jehoram swallow it that the one true God of Israel is a fighting military God who, unlike Baal, actually does exist, which is why Elisha said, I'm standing before him. Right now, he lives. He's real. And if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, if it weren't for this one king who actually does regard the Lord God for who he really is, then Elisha said, I wouldn't even look at you right now. I don't want to look at you. I don't want to put up with you. I don't get, get out of my sight. I don't even want to see you. But because Jehoshaphat's here, I'll do something. But you can see how Elisha was not intimidated at all by Jehoram, not one bit, because he knew that they were to blame for this mess, not the Lord, but yet only the Lord would be able to get them out of it. Now, I saw a meme the other day, uh, the little picture with text on it. It showed a Hollywood star with a funny look on his face, and the text said, why are y'all blaming God for your problems? Most of your trouble comes from not listening to him to begin with. (laughs) So that's where Jehoram's at right now. So you remember how Jehoram ran into this attack scheme without asking for God first, without asking of the Lord. He did not consult, Lord God of Israel, what do you want me to do? He probably ran with his bell-swirled-up head and didn't ask the Lord God at all. But now, here he was asking for help. So no, Elisha was not afraid of him at all. In fact, if you remember, when Elijah was taken up by the Lord God to heaven, those chariots of fire and the horses of fire that separated Elisha and Elijah apart, those chariots and horses of fire, they were symbols of military might. Chariots and horses were the top of warfare. That was the best weaponry in the military at the time. And so God had assured Elisha, that when he took over from Elijah, that he had to be afraid of no one. That the Lord God's army, the Lord God's military, his fighting force was superior to every other military force on earth. So no, Elisha is not afraid of Jehoram one bit. Because think of it: if Jehoram wanted to, he could have made a, made a motion to have Elisha killed, and Elisha is not having it. Second Kings three fifteen. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened, when the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So Elisha actually did consent to inquiring of the Lord for Jehoram, even though Jehoram's kind of a moron, okay? (laughs) Probably he decided to do it because he knew this was necessary for Jehoram's education. Jehoram needs to see something like this, just like Ahab needed to see what happened on Mount Carmel. And apparently, music put Elisha into the frame of mind that he needed to hear from the Lord. And, you know, sometimes I'm kind of like that when I'm working, I've got something to do. Sometimes I can get my head in the game better if I have some tunes going on in the background. (laughs) It just kind of brings you in. And, you know, even King Saul needed David to play a harp for him in order to relax. And, you know, also, friends, when you go to church, they play the worship music first before you hear the message because the music is an element of worship and it funnels the whole congregation in to be able to receive the word. So this music was probably an element of praise that Elisha wanted Jehoram to comprehend. He wanted to learn from this. So Elisha received direct revelation from God about God's plan, of what was going to happen. And he even explained it, that they had to dig ditches out across this valley because the Lord was going to provide water for them in a very unnatural way. Now, you notice he did not tell them to dig deep wells way down into the earth as you would expect to, to try to find water. Digging ditches would be able to provide a way for a lot of people and a lot of animals to drink simultaneously all at the same time because it was a wide area. If you dug one well, it would be one spot. Everybody would have to stand in line. It would take a long time to do it. But that made better sense to dig a well, go deep, to try to find water. He said, don't dig uh, well, you're going to dig a ditch, lots of ditches all over the place, all over this valley. And then he said that the Lord was going to bring water. How? I mean, they've never seen this happen like this. You know, as impossible as this might have sounded to Jehoram or to anyone else, Elisha said, this is an easy thing for the Lord to do. And so I'm sure Jehoram thought, man, this big problem that I have, we're all going to die out here. We're thirsty. All of us were going to be turned over to the Moabites. We're all going to die because we're getting weak. We're not going to be able to fight. But this was nothing to the Lord God of Israel. Now, I firmly believe that this entire situation was set up by God. The Lord God used Jehoram's ignorance. He used his worship of a false god that has no power to talk or act or do anything to get him into this situation, to show him what he was about to, to bring down, the blessing he was about to bring. He wanted to give Jehoram a front row seat at what the Lord God could do. The Lord was still working to purge Baal worship out of the land of Israel. And who better to see this happen front row seat than Jehoram, the king of Israel himself, right? Let's see what happens. Second Kings 3.20. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. Wow. Okay. All the timing and everything here. It's incredible. The Lord took water from rains that happened in Edom, and he made it flow down into the valley to fill all those ditches that they had dug. So they got their water. They got their water, all the animals, the, the, all the men, everybody, they could all drink. Everybody's strengthened up now because they, they got what they needed. They're rehydrated again. The guys, I mean, this just shows it's an expression of love of how much God loved his people, Israel. He sent them what they needed when they needed it. This is also a way to show Baal worshiping Jehoram who the Lord God is and what he's capable of doing. So the Moabites in the area, they had never seen anything like this happen before, and they were totally dumbfounded at what they saw. They'd never seen water at the base of a valley in their own territory like this before, and so they thought the water was blood. Now, it says they got up early in the morning. When the sun comes up early in the morning, it's red. Same thing as like a sunset when the sky turns red, and that reflection obviously hit off the water, and they saw... What they thought was blood at the bottom of that valley. The Lord had timed the Moabites' discovery of this water to coincide with the red color of that sunrise to make them think it was blood. I mean, the timing is just crazy. You see how ingenious this is. I mean, this is the Lord God. This is not hard for him. The Moabites coming out to see this, that aligned up with the news that they had heard about these kings that were coming to fight them. So the Lord drew them out by this news... Right on time to see the sun rise, bounce off that water that they had never seen down there before, and they thought, well, this has got to be blood. They're coming to fight us. We got some spoil to go get now. Now we're going to go get rich off all these dead bodies out there.
0: Thank you for listening to Set for Life.